My friends, we're continuing in our sermon series today on finding peace. And the topic this morning is finding peace with our finances. I understand the risk that I run every time I preach about finances. I had a wonderful couple in one of my churches. They were wonderful except in regards to the fact that any time I preached on finances, which was only maybe once or twice a year, I would usually lose them for about six weeks. They would go away and lick their wounds and eventually make their way back to worship. But I like to remind people that when you look at the Gospels, when you look at the New Testament, Jesus says more about our relationship to our money than Jesus says about prayer. He says a lot about prayer. He says a lot about our relationship to our, to our money. So we need to pay attention to all of the issues that impact our spiritual life and, and certainly our relationship to our wealth impacts our spiritual life. I've lost count of the number of marriages that I've seen dissolve over conflict surrounding wealth, income, money. So we need to pay attention to what the Word of God says to us about our wealth. We need to pay attention to what God requires of us concerning our finances. Our text for the morning comes from the Gospel of Mark. I begin reading at verse 41 of the 12th chapter. This is a small text of a very, very unique episode tucked into the life of Christ that I think most of us fail to pay attention to. I find it to be one of the most interesting things I see Jesus do in the Gospels. So Mark chapter 12 I begin reading at verse 41. We, we find Jesus in the temple there in Jerusalem. Here's the text. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury. And Jesus watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he, Jesus, called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is the word of God. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we pray that you'll give us ears to hear what you're saying to us today. And then give us the grace, give us the courage, give us the will to adjust our lives accordingly. God, you have planned great joy for each one of us, both in this world and in the world to come. And we pray that as we seek your guidance 
and seek to live a life in obedience to you, that we will find that joy that you're offering us. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Most of us know the name John D. Rockefeller. John D. Rockefeller, of course, was one of the wealthiest men in the 19th century. At one point, he, he possessed an estate that owned about 90% of all the oil and gas industry in the United States. So he was tremendously wealthy. But there's a story that's been told about John D. Rockefeller frequently. Perhaps you've heard it. And the story says that at one point in his life, someone asked John D. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? And he famously answered, just a little bit more. A lot of people forfeit their peace because of their frenetic passion to possess more. A lot of people have forfeited their peace because they don't have a right relationship with their money. If we want to live lives of peace, if we want to find the peace that God has planned for us in this world and in the world to come, we need to have that right relationship to money. Life is all about priorities. Life is learning how to set and follow through with those priorities. Life is all about rightly ordering our loves. Life is all about rightly ordering our relationships. Life is all about putting the good things of life in their proper places and allowing the better, the best things in life to rule supreme in our lives. If we want to establish a right relationship with our money, we've got to get over that frenetic desire to always, always have just a little bit more. That frenetic desire will lead us to the place in life where we don't possess our possessions, but our possessions possess and control us. We know from the Bible, I assume we all know from the Bible, that there is absolutely nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong even with possessing a great deal of wealth. We see in the scriptures that God himself ordained private property. You know those big ten, those ten commandments. One of those commandments says that we should not covet the possessions of our neighbor and in giving us that commandment, God is ordaining that the possession of private property is a good thing. We also notice in the scriptures that some of the most righteous people presented to us are people of immense wealth in the scriptures. You may remember that Abraham was tremendously wealthy for his day, and God turned him righteous. You may remember that Job was tremendously wealthy in his day, and God turned him righteous. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with money or the possessing of money. It's all about having a, an appropriately ordered relationship with our wealth. 
A lot of people, even nominal Christians, if they know very little about the Bible, they know that the Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil. But what is it that is the root of all evil, church? The love of money is the root of all evil. And I'm glad that even nominal Christians know that verse. They perhaps can't find it. It's in 1 Timothy. I, I wish people would find it in 1 Timothy and, and read the whole verse. Paul says to the young preacher Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.10 that the love of money, love of money, is the root of all kinds of evil. But then Paul goes on to say, and in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Even in the first century, the Apostle Paul knew what all of human life has proved to be true, that our income can be a source of great, great pain for us. There's nothing wrong with possessing. There's nothing wrong with private property. There's nothing wrong with taking care of our needs. The book of Proverbs teaches that we need to be prudent. The book of Proverbs teaches that we should plan for the future. The book of Proverbs teaches that we should lay something aside for those proverbial rainy days. There's nothing wrong with earning, even earning a great income but we need to have a rightly ordered relationship to our money. This text before us this morning is, I think, one of the most fascinating texts from the Gospels concerning the ministry of Jesus. Here in Mark chapter 12, we run into Jesus during the last week of his life. He's probably on the Wednesday of that last week of his life, he knows that his time is short. He knows that his time is precious. And we find Jesus during this last week of his life there in the temple. And this is the last thing we see Jesus do before he leaves the temple for this last time. What we see Jesus doing here in the temple in Mark chapter 12 is people watching. You like to people watch? I, I like to people watch. When I travel, I love to just find a place to sit and watch people. You know, we really can learn a lot about human beings by just watching their behavior, particularly when people don't realize they're being watched. So here we find Jesus during the last week of his life in his last visit to the sacred temple, and he's people watching. According to the text, and this is what fascinates me, he is taking time out of this last week to go to the temple and watch people make their offering to God. They're in the temple, and in the first century, temples also uh, would be banks of our culture. Temples were places where money was kept. And here's Jesus sitting in the treasury part of the temple, one of the outer courts where both men and women could be. He's sitting there in the treasury section of the temple. And what he sees there in the first century are 13 money collection boxes. That was the treasury in the temple. And each of those 13 money collection boxes in the temple 
had funnels, almost like a trumpet, had funnels on top of them, and people could make a lot of noise putting their money in those collection boxes. And Jesus is there last week of his life, last, last experience in the temple, watching people to see what they're doing as they make their offering. Think of all the other things Jesus could be doing at this point, but he's here watching them making their offering. As I said, for Jesus, what we do with our resources is a supremely spiritual issue. He's watching. And he sees some very, very wealthy people making a great show of putting a lot of, lot of income, a lot of coins into these collection boxes where people would pay the temple tax and, and give their offerings to the temple. He's watching some people put a lot of money in those boxes. But then there comes a widow. And you have to understand in the first century, to be a widow really did relegate someone to, to poverty. Really did regulate someone, relegate someone to a very vulnerable life because there were not the social nets to protect people in the first century that we have today. So to be a widow was to live a very precarious existence. Jesus is watching. And I don't know about you, but it is challenging to me to know that Jesus is watching. Jesus is watching the people make their offering. Jesus sees this widow, this destitute, vulnerable widow, come and make her offering. And the text says that she placed two little coins into the plate, into the collection box. She placed two little coins that were so small, the Greek here is lepton, and it's connected to a Greek word that means light or lightness. A lepton in the first century was such a small coin, you could hold them in the palm of your hand and you could blow them out of your hand. That's how small these two coins are that this widow places into the collection box. And I think it's really significant that she places two coins in the collection box. They're worth less than what we would call a penny, but she places two coins in the collection box. I think the reason she placed two coins in the collection box and, and the Gospel of Mark wants us to know that is because we would understand she could have held one of those coins back. And that might have been the prudent, right thing to do for her to hold one of those two coins back, but she only had two coins and she put both of those coins in the offering box. And Jesus was watching. Jesus took this as a teachable moment. Jesus called his disciples to himself. And Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this is one of those verily, verily, I say unto you, truly, truly, I say unto you. That was Jesus' way of saying that what he is about to say is, of utmost importance, Jesus says to his disciples, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. All these other people were contributing out of their surplus. All these other people were contributing out of their leftovers. But Jesus says that this widow, she out of her poverty, 
has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So this widow was a person of extreme freedom. She was not being guided by fear. And she is a picture here in the Gospel of Mark of a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Earlier in chapter 12 of Mark's Gospel, Jesus had been criticizing some of the religious leaders of his day. And here he's using, in contrast to those religious leaders, this poor widow as an example of being a devoted follower of the ways of God. So Jesus is watching. Sometimes I wish Jesus wouldn't watch some of what I do, but Jesus is watching out of love. Jesus is watching. He wants us to find the best of life that's planned for us. Jesus is watching. And the point here is really unmistakable. And the point here challenges me. I hope that the point of this gospel text challenges you too. The point is abundantly clear, I believe. Jesus' point here is that Jesus judges our giving. Not by how much we give, but by how much we have left over after we give. That's the way Jesus looks at our relationship to our income, to our money, to our wealth. And what Jesus is reminding us of here is a basic New Testament conviction. And it's this, it's not that we're all called to give equally, we're not. We're not all called to give the same amount, we're not. But we are called to equal sacrifice. We are called to sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom of God and the Lord's work here on this earth. We're not to just give out of our leftovers. We're to give, give because our hearts have been captured by Jesus Christ. I think the reason that Jesus feels this way is Jesus wants to prevent us from allowing our money to become an idol to us. And I've seen people who have very little money allow it to become an idol in their lives. I've seen people with a great deal of money to allow it to become an idol in their lives. It was John Calvin who said that the human heart is an idol-making factory. And we just produce idols because we want to create a God that suits us. We want to create a God after our own image. So what Jesus is teaching here regarding our finances is that we should never make our wealth an idol in our lives. We should be free enough to give it away. We should be free enough to give it away extravagantly. We should be faith-filled and not fear-filled enough that we can be extravagant, generous people, just as our God is an extravagant, generous God. One of my favorite authors, contemporary Christian authors today, is Timothy Keller. Perhaps you recognize the name Timothy Keller. He's published some tremendous books in the last 20 years. Timothy Keller, Timothy Keller established and grew a thriving congregation in New York City right off of Times Square. 
And if you can create a thriving congregation in New York City right off of Times Square, we need to hear what he has to say. In one of his books, he talks about our propensity to, to create idols in our lives. And he talks about idolatry this way. He says, when anything in life, anything in life is an absolute requirement for our happiness or our self-worth, it is essentially an idol, something we're actually worshiping. Idolatry means turning a good thing into an ultimate thing. There's nothing wrong with money. Abraham was tremendously wealthy. Job was tremendously wealthy. I've seen some very wealthy people over the course of my ministry who were not possessed by their possessions and they gave extravagantly to the work of God in this world. I've seen people with very limited possessions give extravagantly in proportion to what they had to the work of Jesus Christ in this world. The best advice that I've ever encountered outside of the Bible concerning our use of money, and this will not surprise you, comes from John Wesley. Toward the end of John Wesley's ministry, among the people called Methodists, he preached a sermon on money. It's number 50 in the canon of John Wesley's sermons. The title of the sermon is The Use of Money. He preached this sermon toward the end of his life because by the end of his long life, his long ministry among the people called Methodists, he was watching something that greatly concerned him. Methodists were such faithful, devout, clean-living, hard-working people that they began to just become wealthier and wealthier and wealthier. So John Wesley was concerned about what that wealth would do to the people called Methodist. And in that sermon, he entitled The Use of Money, he had, like any good preacher, three main points in that sermon. And we have tended to just offer all three of his main points at one time. So the best advice outside the Bible I've ever encountered concerning our use of wealth comes from John Wesley, who said, earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. I'm glad he says earn all you can because we really should earn all that we can. You know, in the Ten Commandments, we see that commandment about hallowing the Sabbath, keeping the seventh day holy, resting one day out of the week. We see that commandment, but we fail to realize that in that commandment where God told the children of Israel to keep one day holy out of seven, he also says in that very same commandment, six days a week you shall labor. A lot of Americans don't like that commandment. We should work hard. We should earn all we can. And John Wesley says so that we can save all we can. But in order to keep it from becoming an idol, we have to do the third thing, give all you can. As we sit here this morning in the United States, there's a new popular movement called minimalism. 
And a lot of people are getting involved in minimalism, and I commend people. It's a good idea. Minimalism just teaches us to live simply. Minimalism teaches us to simplify our lives so we can find more joy in our lives and, and place more attention on the important things in life. I think minimalism or living simply is a good thing. It's been a Christian conviction for 2,000 years. But minimalism and simplicity is only good if it frees us up to become more devoted Christ followers. Sometimes we can even take minimalism and living simply and turn that into an idol. I don't know about you, but when I go to buy something, I always ask myself three things. And these are maybe unique to me. I always ask myself three things when, when I go to buy something. I, I, I first ask myself, can I afford it? And my wife, who's much better with money than I am, usually tells me I can't. But I always ask myself, can I afford it? That's number one. Number two, as a Methodist preacher, I ask myself the question, do I want to move this one day? And then number three, the third thing I always ask myself before I buy something is, will this thing I want to buy complicate my life? I just don't want to complicate my life. If you were to go to Lake Junaluska and watch God make new United Methodist pastors, you would be rather shocked by some of the questions that are asked of these new preachers-to-be. And they're questions that go back to the 18th century because they go back to John Wesley. And one of those questions that they ask Methodist preachers to be before they admit them to the fellowship of the annual conference is this Are you so in debt? As to embarrass your ministry Now I've been going to annual conferences for 38 years and I've noticed over the last 38 years every time that question is asked There's nervous laughter in the room and I know what we all say to ourselves when we hear that question asked because we get asked that question and, and all the preachers-to-be dutifully say no. But what we really want to say is, well, no, because it takes a lot to embarrass us these days. But the reason John Wesley asked Methodist preachers that question was not because he was being nosy about their incomes. He just wanted them to be free. He wanted them to be free to be able to do whatever it was that God was calling them to do. And he understood way back in the 18th century that being heavily in debt takes away freedom. Takes away freedom. So here in our gospel text for the day, Jesus is using this poor, vulnerable widow as a sign of devotion. This poor, vulnerable widow who was free enough to give extravagantly and trust God for the outcome. If we want peace in our lives, we've got to have a right relationship to our money. It is a spiritual issue. That's why about every year we try to offer financial peace workshop here at Wesley Memorial Church because our families and certainly our spiritual lives can be destroyed because of the God of mammon. You may not know this, but we have 
you do know we have beautiful stained glass windows here in the sanctuary. These windows, I believe, were made in uh, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, I believe. I think they're among some of the most beautiful windows in the southeast. You may not know, though, that the devil himself is in one of these windows. It's back here to my right on the lower level. You can look at it as you exit. Uh, it's euphemistically called the, the devil window. And you'll see the devil back there. You can't hardly miss him. He, he's painted green. And you'll see a human being offering worship to that green devil back there. And in investigating why we had the devil in one of our windows, I learned that that green demon is a symbol, is an image for mammon or money or wealth. And that human being worshiping mammon is a warning to us to make sure that we have a proper, right relationship to money. Our life in this world and the life in the world to come is dependent upon it, and our, our peace in this world is dependent upon it. Friends, may, may I pray with you? God, I, I thank you for the way that your word comforts us and challenges us. Help us to be the people you're calling us to be. Help us to learn what it means to flourish as human beings. And we know that following you leads us into that life that you're offering us. Help us, God, to be the people that you, our creator, have created us to be. You have given us so many gifts because you are a generous, gracious God. We thank you for all the gifts of life. May we be able to enjoy the gifts you've given us. May we find the freedom to live as your people in this age. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.